any idea can work if you're passionate and dedicated to it. You know, but if if you're not willing to to work for free, you know, if you if you have this idea in your in your head that you have to make a certain amount of money, if it's ever about money, then you'll never be successful no matter how fantastic your idea is. You're listening to Appalachian Startup. If you don't know by now, it's stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I am J.D. Belcher, and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my own production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey to not only give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. Today, you will hear the story of Kimberly Shingledecker and David Bailey. They met each other out west, and Kim told David about a beautiful town in West Virginia called Fayetteville. They decided to come back and start a restaurant. From what started as the most scrumptious pizzas you will ever taste in a small house, became the most scrumptious pizzas you will ever taste in 15 locations across the U.S. We're talking about pies and pints. Hear their journey, and who knows? You just may start the next Appalachian-born franchise. Well, David and I were working together out in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah in um, 2003. And we were managing a restaurant out there together. And we just, you know, I found out that David was from New York. And I told him about Fayetteville. And I told him how I thought pizza would do so well there. And we just started kind of talking about what if we... What if we went back there and started this little pizza place? So that's when, uh, yeah, so it was in Salt Lake City in 2003 that we kind of started talking about it. And basically, David moved, I already had a home here and I had had a restaurant before here, so I already had roots here. David came here in April of 2003 for his first time ever, and we opened Pies and Pints in June of 2003. Awesome. So what was it like, David, to uproot and move to West Virginia? It was rainy. Um, and when I first got there, that's one of the first things that rained probably six weeks straight, I feel like. Um, but it was, it was, I was, yeah, I mean, I was at the point, it was 26. I, you know, I, I knew I'd always want to own my own restaurant and here this opportunity just kind of was sitting there. So, you know, being in Salt Lake City, I was doing the transient bartender, cook, waiter thing. And it, yeah, it was just an opportunity. And so I seized it and we got in Kim's truck and yeah, drove back to West Virginia. That's awesome. So was Chicken Gouda here since the beginning or ha- who created that? No, it's uh, Lewis, as far as I know, our uh, kitchen manager or he and some of the crew who were kind of running the kitchen at that point. That was uh, that was something of theirs. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask about that. So I called Lewis just to get the uh, backstory on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were always... Dave and I came up with a lot of the original things and a lot of that stuff is still on the menu, but we always encourage our staff to, you know, to explore, create, you know, read food magazines, look for different things. And, and at the time, Lewis, who now owns Secret Sandwich Society here in Fayetteville, he was our kitchen manager. And, uh, he's the one, he, he told me, he said, well, I came up with the chicken, bacon and red onions. And then you added the, uh, chipotle crema. So it was like a collaboration, but it was mostly Lewis. Right. Did all you just start popping up at the same time, just all these amazing restaurants, or was it over time that they just grew 
were you kind of the first to start in Fayetteville or what, you know, how did that work? Well, to give, I originally moved to Fayetteville in 1995, um, to Raf, to climb, rock climb and, um, Raft guide learned to kayak, and I worked at the Sedona Grill, which was one of the first like kind of chef-driven restaurants in in Fayetteville. You know, it wasn't a chain; it wasn't a. It was just a a couple. They were actually from Pennsylvania, and uh, they moved here and started the Sedona Grill. It was right across the street from the courthouse, and it uh, gained a huge. Po- is teeny tiny, but very popular with. The locals and you know the um, climbing community, the rafting community, the you know the so tourists, um, and then I worked for them for a little while, and then I started Cathedral Cafe, and you started that yes in uh, 1997. So you know, and then I sold it to Wendy, who still owns it now, and then kind of left the area for a little while, but kept the house here and stuff. And then that's when I met David. We came back here, open pies, and then in 2010, David, secret. Yeah, yeah, we, it was empty. That was where Dog started too in the old oh, pies. Yeah. And so when Dog's moved down to where they were at the old Little General, um, Kim and I still owned that building, the Pies and Pints building. And then so my now wife and I, we there was an empty space. That's when the secret thing. Yeah, so the place was sitting empty. Uh, and I needed something to put in there. Tasha needed something to do. And so it was like, okay, cool. We'll do this. And so, so the initial day one, you found the building. Um, where did the capital come from? Did you find that to be an issue or kind of how did, how did it begin? On a $20,000 credit card. Yeah. Kim's credit card. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, you know, this isn't the original. We were, we used to be in a little. Oh, okay. So this isn't teeny, the original tiny little house. Yeah. Okay. Where secret is now actually. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Small world. Awesome. So how much did you use all of that $20,000 or? And then some. Really? Yeah. We, yeah, we started off with the, because it was a, it had already been a restaurant. So there was some equipment there we were able to reuse and stuff. And like I said, it was really small. We literally had 20 seats inside and 30 seats outside. And when we first opened, we were seasonal. But yeah, we went, we blew right through the 20000 and then we got a bank loan on top of that. So I think like opening the, we opened the doors for around 50000 back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. But way different restaurant than right. what we have right <laughs> now. Like Dave and I, <clears throat> Dave made every pizza that came out of there for the first few months. Yeah. You know, and we were both there every day. We had a very small staff. It was, you know, we were only open four months for the first year. How many employees did you, how many employees did you have? Probably back then, maybe 10 or 11. Do you remember, Dave? Somewhere in that range. And now we have close to 50, so at each location. At each location. And there is currently 15 locations? Or 15th is going to be opening, right? Is, is that Technically, how is? the 16th is going to be open, but it, we close one of them. We close one location. Yeah. So this will be our 16th location, our fi- but we'll have 15 locations when this one opens. Right. And, and that just, it blows my mind. And we'll get into kind of how the franchise opportunities opened up. But basically from the beginning, what did, what were your frustrating times? Were there any, or did you just start being profitable right away? How did it work? From day one, we were millionaires from day one. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys can play off of each other and kind of speak on your frustrations and and your successes. What kept you going? Yeah, I kept us going. Dave wanted to quit every day. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I was not I was not as driven as Kim was, and so it uh, when we and when we got to a point where it, it finally started leveling out a little bit, like the first couple of years were rough. It's a seasonal place. It's a tiny little spot. We're both working a hundred hours a week. Um, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know. And we kind of got into a point where it was actually starting to make some money. We were paying down some debt. And it was fun and enjoyable, you know, even though we were working a lot. But yeah, I can remember when Kim wanted to buy the building that you guys are in right now. I was out in Salt Lake City, actually. Went back out there to 10 bar, uh, 10 bar away tables because we were closed in the winter. And then that was the first year we stayed open all winter long. We both didn't need to be there. So I went back out to Salt Lake City to uh, quote unquote make some money. And then she called me. I can vividly remember her saying, I want to buy this building. And that's and I'm buying the building. We need to do this. And I was dragging my feet. And uh, I was like, we just got to this nice point where we can, you know, we can run the business. And I just didn't see it at the time. I still wanted to hang out and snowboard. And <laughs> it was hard work. Man. And so but we, but I relented and then came back. And we yeah, we, we bought that building and got the remodel going. And speaking of hard work, how many hours were y'all putting in uh, per week at the beginning? Would you say? Well, I mean, in the beginning, you know, the very beginning when we first, you know, we did all the construction, a lot of the construction ourselves and everything. So, you know, 50 to 70 hours a week. And, and then when we opened Charleston, same thing, you know. So in the beginning when you're opening it, you know, it leveled off. You, you, I mean, we leveled off quickly, but we were there every day. We would maybe just take a two-hour break in the middle of the day, you know, be there to open, take a break in the middle of the day, come back and close it. So, and and every single day. I think in the very beginning we were closed on Tuesdays, but then you think you're going to take a break on those days, but then you end up doing projects that need to be done that you can't get done during the week. So, you know, and then it really, I mean, it was four years before we bought this building and it wasn't until really that we bought this building that we started to actually turn a profit. Like, mm -hmm. even though we were very successful at the old building, we just didn't have the economies of scales. We couldn't, we couldn't pay a manager, you know, so it was just Dave and I and we were seasonal, very seasonal. Like, and we lost money during, and we still lose a little bit of money during the off season here, but Dave and I first couple years closed down and went and got jobs just to pay our bills from the so I mean it wasn't it's funny people look at us now and 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 think like we're just you know that it just happened overnight and it, it did not and there were lots of times where we considered just selling it and going and getting jobs for the first four years we would every year we'd have a conversation about do we keep going or do you know do we really want to do this is it worth it you know and so yeah and until and this was a huge jump. I mean, this buying this building was a huge jump for us. But buying when we when we opened our doors, we'd already had waits at over our waits at the small location, and then this this location tripled how many seats we had. We opened in May, and you know, thinking we were going to, and we immediately had waits again, which was a great problem to have. And that's how we've been able to grow and get to the point where we are now. But you know, the, like I said, the first four years were struggles all the time after you made the move to the new building uh did your your concerns start to vanish when you started seeing the success and and maybe even were you guys starting to get in the black or how did how did you feel after the move uh for me yeah for me i mean like kim said it, it was crazy there was a day i can vividly remember the first we were like the first week i feel like we were open in may so it was close to memorial day we had to close down 
in the, we, we made, we thought we made so much food and we were so ready and we had to shut down in the middle of the afternoon and stop taking orders because we just had to build everything back up. I have the goosebumps thinking about it because our, well, because our printers, we had put, moved a new uh, point of sale system over there and our printers had stopped working. And so, and I can remember looking up out over the dining room and realizing that there were way too many people in the dining room to not have any tickets in the back. And it was just, it was bonkers, man. And so we went through those growing pains there. And as, as you can see, the room, we just kept growing. Like the room you guys are in had to close that in. That used to be the outdoor seating. Then we bumped the outdoor seating out further. You know, Kim's got a plan right now that she's working on. Like some that space has been built on and pulled apart and remodeled so many times. Um, but yeah, the move was great. And it was just, as you go through each jump, you jump through each hoop, it's the learning curve. The labor there is tough, man. Staffing in the restaurant business across the board anywhere is always tough, but it was specifically challenging for us there. Would you say that's the biggest thing to overcome is, is staffing? Would that be the main concern or, or what would you say? For me? Yeah. To this day, I mean, even in Richmond with secret sandwich society, I mean, you know, it's the, it's the bane of our existence. It's really hard to find people who are, you know, who want to come, who want to do it or committed or, you know, so it's a challenge. I really do think it's probably one of the bigger challenges. So how did you, you know, I'm coming in off the street. I have no clue how to make pizzas. Did how did you create those processes on training for, for your staff? Did, was it trial and error or did you cultivate, you know, a process over time or how did that work? Well, Kim was always really big on, on the tra- You know, I, I came up through more of an old school mentality, you know, again, like in the beginning, I made every pizza. First of all, I didn't really trust anyone to make any of the other pizzas. Then I showed Kim finally. And then Kim was like, we can't keep doing this. You know, like, you know, you don't want to be here a hundred hours a week anymore. Right. Yes. I don't want to be here. So we have to show people. And that was, since we opened, things were systematic there. I mean, Kim did a great job of like, okay, here we have to have recipes. Here's the procedural stuff. And, you know, we used to joke around. We would write everything down and have all these checklists. And sometimes we take it to the level of put the key in the door, open the door, walk in. (laughs) And so, you know, but but then you develop people who get it. So you get some people who actually understand it. They start to become your managers or your right-hand man or your right-hand woman. And then it just kind of keeps trickling down to where you weed out the people who don't understand and the people who get it. They know, I mean, Angie, the manager there, she's been there forever. You know, so we've, that's been very helpful. And it's important in the restaurant business. It's probably one of the most important things to do. That's a pretty good vibe with you too. Kim, would you say like he's kind of, it seems like you guys have different personalities, but it meshes in, in the perfect way to start a business. Would you say that's kind of right? Yeah. In the, in the beginning, you know, we kind of just like, okay, you're going to be in the back and you're going to cook the food and I'm going to be in the front and deal with the people. But over time we both do all of the, we do all of the roles. Like I come up with uh, recipes or tweak recipes or do stuff. Dave does that. Dave then also had to, you know, I'm like, I don't want to be out front all the time. So he had it. So we were really good in the beginning of like this, you know, you have to do these things. I'll do these things. I always did the paperwork, paid the bills, all of that. And, you know, David was always training people in the kitchen and and that, but I had to, but we both, we crossed over well as well. And then David went on to open another restaurant. So now he, you know, so then he had to do everything as well. And so, and now, you know, so we both 
Yeah, and the, we did well in the beginning, but now I think we both can do do it all. Sure. And both of us don't spend as much time in the kitchen anymore because now we have amazing people that have worked us for us for so long that can make pizza probably better and faster than either one of us right. can, which is awesome. And so, and now we have totally different roles where, like I said, I do the marketing. We both of us work on the business and not in the business sure. anymore. And we, and, and then that's, I think that's key in order to be a successful business is you've got to get out of your business and, and grow it and trust the people to run it. And once we did that, that's when we saw huge growth. And it's funny you mentioned that, Dave, about not wanting anyone else to make pizzas in the beginning. I'm kind of in that stage of my business where I've made videos for so long and I just think like, no one else can do this as good as me. So like, what would be your advice for that on letting that go and, 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 and going to that next step? Because I figured out, you know, I'm starting to figure out more and more every day. Like, if you're wanting to grow, you got to let go of some of your yeah. responsibilities and 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 train those to other people. So, what would you uh, say to me, <laughs> basically? I, I would say that yeah, you need to um, have. Well, for one, I think you have to to let go. You have to trust someone. So you have to find someone that you can trust, and then you can't be afraid to imprint your wants or your desires or your wishes. And so that being said, you know, you, you have to be able to delegate tasks obviously to someone and then hold them accountable for it. And you should never apologize for, for the, for the quality level or, or the, you know, if you say, Hey, I asked you to do this video and this is nowhere near the quality level. I would, you have to hold that person accountable. That person might not work out just like in the restaurant, you know, we would come in and Someone would put a pizza in the window and I, I'm like, you're going to send this to a paying customer. That's <laughs> so, um, but event, it gets easier. It's delegation for me was definitely tough. And now I experience it where I've, re- I, you know, I'm not really involved in our, in our secret sandwich society in Richmond, other than it's funny, the tables have turned. Like I do all the back off. I, I do all the paperwork now and I, and I, you know, keep the lights on and the insurance and the investors and stuff like that. My wife still has a little bit of a hand in operations. And so I try to coach her now too on like, okay, you know, you're there, you're helping, but you need to, you need to let go of these guys. Some of these guys, you need to let them, they need to fly or crash. That's it. So, but you have to feel confident and trust and trust in the person that you give that to. What's the hardest part of the job for you? Uh, Is it, have you ever had to fire anyone? How did that process work? <laughs> oh man, that's not hard. It's it's not fun, but it's not hard. You know, it's I've gotten a lot better. Like I definitely I've fired a lot of people. It's uh, it's not fun, but most likely if that person's getting fired, especially now because I've changed a lot, where I, I I'm I'm a lot more flexible and I think I'm a lot more empathetic and I'm a lot more patient with people. So in my business now, I, I do my best. We bend over backwards again because you kind of have to. Because people will go get it, they'll go get another job in a heartbeat. So firing people is not fun, but it's uh, it's not difficult, and it, it's it's helpful because you have you have to cull, if you will, the environment and make sure that you have the right people in the right place. Sure. Well, it comes back to being held accountable. Usually, you know, I imagine if I ever have to fire someone, that they'll probably know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that you can sense it. And I think part of it too, and what we, when we, I work for now and I try to do, 
we've adapted and, and changed our hiring processes so much and, and our interview questions and multi-level interviews, like even for something as simple as a dishwasher job. It's like, because I, if I waste my time and everyone else's time bringing the wrong person in and it takes us five or six weeks to figure that out, everyone just wasted their their time and effort on trying to bring this person up to speed only to fire them. Yeah. So on the front end of things is where you can really make a lot of headway. Right. So breaking it down for you, Kim, um, how did you establish how much things cost? Was that kind of trial and error? Were you charging too much in the beginning or not enough? Or how did you work that business model? In the very beginning, I just, I would collect menus from other competitors, you know, in the, in the pizza market and other, and local restaurants. And just, um, because I mean, I know how to do food costs, but it is very, very tedious and it changes. And so I think the easiest way is to kind of look at what, um, your competitors are charging and, you know, position yourself, um, wherever you want to be. If you're, if you're doing it better then you can position yourself a little bit more expensive. And if, if you're, you know, if you're trying to be the, you know, discount, you know, to say, then you put a little less. We, around here, we, you know, people, we definitely went higher because we were, we make everything in house. You know, we weren't, there's a lot of pizza places out there that I don't know if people get this, but everything just kind of comes in frozen and, uh, you, you know, you just throw it on a pizza and there's not a lot of labor involved. There's a lot of labor involved in all of our food. So that's why when people, when we first opened, they're like $20 pizzas, you know, I'm just like, yeah, it's a $20 pizza. And I would imagine, you know, your ingredients are better too. So they're going to definitely cost more to do that. Yeah. We use, you know, fresh herbs and seafood and steak and pork that takes eight hours to, to cook, let alone, and then marinates for 24 hours. And so, yeah. And we try to get all as, you know, hormone free, antibiotic free, you know, the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So when did pies and pints like, okay, we're in the black now we're on to something. What year was that after you started? Uh, 2008, probably once we got this, this restaurant up in this location up and running and, uh, and then I think that's when Dave and I finally started taking actual paychecks up until then. We just kind of paid our bills out of the business, you know? So, sure. right. Is that what you remember? 2008? That sounds, yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. I mean, yeah. Cause it, it the, the business jumped tremendously when we moved over to that space. And again, yeah, but, you know, revenue solves a lot of problems. So yeah, that was the first time where we started actually leaving Remember, we would go down to Sedona, actually. We would go leave in the middle of the afternoon, go try to get something to eat. Inevitably, for the first couple of times we tried that, we'd always get a phone call and one of us would have to go back, um, some whatever issue happened. But yeah, that was about the paycheck time, about where the numbers started. You're like, holy moly, how, you know, how, how is it this busy? How could it be getting busier? Like It, would, it was pretty mind-blowing. So the idea for another location... Did that come pretty quick? Like, okay, I want to scale. This is what I want to do. Or were you kind of shying away from that? It was 2009 that we started talking about another location. And at first we met with, uh, Dave had this awesome idea to meet with the franchise <laughs> lawyer. And uh, where did we go for that? North oh, Carolina we or Georgia or something? I saw a, an ad in the back of Entrepreneur Magazine. And it was the tiny little sliver ad. And it said, ads work. <laughs> French, uh, franchise uh, opportunity. Help me, I'll fr- help franchise your business. Mm-hmm. So on a whim, one day I called. I'm like, you know what? Like, Because we, we've talked about it. Kim and I definitely talked about it from day one. Right. That we thought that the concept and the brand could do well. It didn't just have to be West Virginia. So it was always in the back of our mind. And yeah, we drove down to Charlotte 
to meet these characters, man. And it was it was just a funny experience. <laughs> like, okay, well, those aren't the guys. Um, we're gonna we're gonna just keep plugging away. <laughs> and I think at that point, we had both found ourselves with we didn't have to be at the restaurant as much anymore for one. And so you know, we'd always talked about maybe having a second location, mm. and then that kind of just yeah went. And Charleston was we went we looked at Morgantown and Charleston. But we kept coming back to that space in Charleston. So did that come from boredom? Like, you know, we need to do something else. We need to step up or, you know, you just found yourself like, well, I worked 20 hours this week. I think I need to figure out, you know, how to how to move this thing up. Yeah, I think a little bit of that, right? I mean, I, you'd probably say you, know, you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, well, what else am I going to do with myself? I don't think either one of us had a, where it was like, oh, I have all these other hobbies and desires to do stuff. So. I had actually gone out to Oregon and had helped some friends of mine start a brewery and and it actually was in Washington state. Um, And Dave and I were investors in that. And we kind of, we, we both really liked that area out there. So it's the Pacific Northwest. And we, so I was living out there for a little while and I really liked it out there. And we kind of talked about, could we do a restaurant out there more about, cause that's where we wanted to live. And then as I, I stayed out there for a little while and um, it just became really apparent that the cost, the competition, the, you know, everything out there was just more, way more expensive, way more, and just a lot of risk involved where, you know, so we were kind of like, do we do it here? Or do we do another location in West Virginia or do we try to move somewhere and, and you know, and do something there and, uh I came back and we, that, that location in Charleston and just, we had so many people coming to Fayetteville from Charleston. Like we just knew we already had a good customer base there and the location, it was just such a cool old building and we really liked the landlords and we just, it just, it seemed to make sense. You all now have locations in big cities too plus rural communities and it's it's cool that you can kind of see the contrast in starting those businesses but um would you say west virginia's customer base is loyal like you know some people say oh you're starting a restaurant in a rural area like what are you thinking would you say the opposite like you know once something comes here that's special that west virginians know it and they appreciate it absolutely absolutely i yeah, but the three West Virginia stores are top performers in our company. And um, and it's so awesome when I run into to people that will tell me like, oh, I went to the Morgantown store, I went to the Charleston store. Or they'll say, I was in Ohio and I met somebody that was talking about pies and pints. And I'm like, we have the original one in Fayetteville, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it, I mean, that really, like, it gives me goosebumps. And it's it's just so cool, the, pr- the pride that everybody takes in the fact that, <clears throat> you know, we started in West Virginia and we've, you know, become so successful and uh, people like seeing it other places, but they're really proud that it's that it's here. So, yeah, I do. I do think that they're very loyal and they're very um, proud of, of what we've done. I remember hearing about it because I remember hearing, you know, oh, there's this place called Pies and Pints. It's in Fayetteville. They're opening a Charleston location and they're amazing and you can go and you they got like all this beer on tap and you can get all these different kinds of pizzas, you know, and always heard about it like it was this magical place. And upon finally getting to go there, I figured it out like, whoa, how did you create that consistency without having to be at these locations every day? Uh, did you have, you know, was it you two coming up with this plan or did you have help or how did that work? 
creating the brand? Well, I think it all started in the, from the very beginning because Dave and I were there every day and we got these, pe- the people that worked for us were really, again, like you said, the West Virginia pride thing. They were very proud of what they were doing. And um, when we went to open the next location in Charleston, we brought a lot of people from Fayetteville to, to do it. And even when Dave and I weren't there, they still, you, you know, they would be like, well, this is how Dave and Kim taught us to do it. And this is why they do it. Like we always gave them a why we do things too. And we didn't, we didn't ever just say like, oh, just do it this way because, you know, it's like, well, we do it like this because, you know, this, this, and this. And, and they understood that. And then they, we've had a really good success with people just kind of um, accepting the culture of the way we do things and teaching it to the next generate location of, of people. And then we take, you know, like the people from Charleston went to the next location after Charleston was in Ohio. And so we took, you know, a team of people from Charleston to Ohio. And then, you know, they told them about the culture that started. And a lot of those people had come from Fayetteville to Charleston and now to Ohio. Um, and I think we've had good success with that. I don't, as we continue to grow, it gets further and further away. So, but. Right. Well, you, and you had to meet people that were passionate about the brand because, you know, to uproot and move, you know, to Charleston, but then to uproot and move to Ohio, you had to find people who were passionate like you guys. Um, how does your chain of command break down now? What does it look like? Do you have like regional managers? Yes. Or? Yes. So we have a GM at every store. Every store has a GM and a, a general manager and a kitchen manager. And then there's a couple assistant managers at every store. And then uh, right now we have two um, regional managers. Um, we have a, a, a beer dude mm-hmm. who does all and the... One, not to interrupt, but one of those oh, general managers um, or uh, regional managers has been with us as a, as a serve from a server in our, in the Charleston location. And like, that's something to be said, like, especially from the West Virginia base of the employees, the people that have started with us, you know, that started with us in the original store and or then the store that you guys are in right now. And then Charleston, I mean, we still have multiple people in the company who have moved up coming at mostly a lot out of that Charleston store, but it's been that's awesome to see someone stick it out for so long. Yeah, actually, both of our regional managers are from West Virginia and started in the Charleston store. And we also have an IT person um, that is from West Virginia that started in the Charleston store, all started as servers. Mm -hmm. So two regional managers and the um, IT person, all West Virginia servers. It's funny you bring up IT person. uh, You know, you don't think of IT when it comes to restaurant, but talk about those problems that arose that you didn't realize were going to be problems. (laughs) Well, a POS POS system, a point of sale system is, you know, it's, it's when you get to be a certain point, like when Dave and I first opened Pies and Pints in Fayetteville, you know, it was, um, we had a cash register and handwritten tickets, you know. Count the tickets at the end of the Is night that, to see how many pieces okay. yeah. But yeah, so as you, so a point of sale system can be, you know, it's it's something where in each store, a general manager can spend hours on a phone for over a, a particular problem. So then as you get multiple stores, that all of that stuff has to be coordinated so all the stores are communicating. And, and, and yeah, so that position wasn't a position I never, I ever knew that, that we needed, but, right. but yeah, now, because so, every time, so if you have 15 locations and you want to put a new pizza on the menu, 
well, that person has to coordinate that that button goes on the POS system and that the, the all the ingredients are on there and all of that. So they have to coordinate that over all of the stores. If any prices change, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So Right. And uh, do you reevaluate your prices like every quarter or, you know, how is that process? Every year? Mm, it's every every year to 18 months. Okay. Uh, so we mentioned the franchising. Uh, when did you, you said you guys own 40% of the company? Correct. Okay. When did you decide to sell? We had opened the Charleston location in December of uh, 2010. And we started um, talking to uh, our new partners now in a, it was like about eight months later. What, um, do you remember the exact month that we started yeah, talking I to mean, them? <clears throat> Michael came into Secret Sandwich Society in, in end of January, early February. And so we, yeah, so in the middle of the winter is when we find, we, we kind of started having some meetings there with, um, and going down to Charleston and coming to Fayetteville. So <clears throat> yeah. So it wasn't long after. And then after the sale, did things step up immediately? Like, uh, which, you know, not a lot of people know, but speak uh, across, like, where are all of your 15 locations in different states and things like that? I don't think people realize exactly what you guys have created. The first store that opened after we did the deal. So the deal, we completed the the new partnership, basically, um, was in October of 2011. The first store that opened after that was in Worthington, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus. There's currently uh, two locations in Columbus, Ohio, one in Dayton, Ohio, three in Cincinnati area, uh, one in Lexington, Kentucky, one in Birmingham, Alabama, and one in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, there's the three West Virginia locations, which I think everyone knows about. Um, the only franchise locations we have are one just opened in um, Richmond, Virginia, and the Morgantown one is actually a franchise as well. So the same franchise um, person has okay. Montgomery, I mean, has um, Richmond and Morgantown. Everything else is company owned. Gotcha. So then there's also Carmel, Indiana, and we're getting ready to open one in um, Noblesville, Indiana, both are suburbs of Indianapolis. Oh, wow. Wow. So, I mean, in each of these places goes without saying is the same experience as you'll get in Charleston. Correct. It's the same exact menu. The only thing that changes from location to location is the, um, the beer. Beer and wine can change. We try to get as local, as many local um, tap handles as possible. And Dave, you can speak on this too. What was the process of being able to sell alcohol? Is that difficult or, or what do you essentially do? File for a license? How does it work? Uh, yeah, you you have to file for your license. Um, they do a background checks there, and then you know you have to go get fingerprinted, fill out some permits, pay your pay your 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 bills. Make, you know the taxes have to be in order. Right. And then I mean realistically, it, it's not that crazy difficult, especially if you're just doing beer and wine. Liquor brings a, another uh, aspect, but knock on wood, I think for the most part it hasn't been ridiculously difficult. We. We tried to put liquor on at the pies and pints there. Um, we were in a historic district, so there was a rule on the books where you couldn't have liquor in a historic district. That was an interesting experience there, uh, going down to this meeting with Kim and I. And there, were, there were a handful of people in there who were very adamantly against us getting liquor. In, uh, and so, and it didn't happen. And realistically, with the brand and what it's become, it's perfect. I and mean, beer and wine is perfect for what it is. Yeah. I don't think anyone gets smashed while eating pizzas. You know, it's more of a conversational thing, you know? 
Yeah. That process no, also, just so you know, can vary from state to state. Some certain states that we're in, it's more difficult. And, you know, for example, if we were going to go to uh, Pennsylvania, has very strict. It's not that they're strict, but it's like sometimes you you can't just apply. You have to buy a license from somebody the else. License traded like you know i mean you yeah. could pay one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more for for an alcohol oh wow license. like say if you wanted to be in like philadelphia or someplace that's really competitive like that so so west virginia it's not hard as long as you're zoned properly for it like so makes sense all right next to last question how long did it take to pay off the twenty thousand dollars <laughs> we're still paying on we're it. still paying that right? <laughs> just making the month of the uh the <laughs> payment on that <laughs> right We've never been debt free, you know, everything kind of just gets rolled into the the next project, you know, so it's like, yeah, we, like Dave said, we've built, we we're always building on to, you know, we, we, we enclosed this room, we added that on, we did that whole addition, I'm getting ready to do that addition, you know, and then as far as the company goes, we're always opening new stores. So it's, you know, it's not... I'm like I can't tell you for sure how long it took to pay that twenty thousand dollars off, but um, but we always, we constantly we always have debt, but we manage it. You know, we in the you know there's positive cash flows. So. Right. Well, for the average person, would you say debt is a part of the process? Like Absolutely. if you're if you're wanting Absolutely. to scale, especially. Absolutely yes. Yeah. You, have you never heard how you make two million dollars in the restaurant business, or how you make a million dollars in the restaurant business? How's that? You start with two million. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will remember yeah. that. Debt is not something you need, you should be afraid of if, uh, especially, yeah, if, especially you want to grow, you know, there are plenty of places, you know, who start like we did and the places still do that, mm-hmm. like borrowing some money from some family and, and credit card debt and you can make it work, but that's definitely a whole different ball game. Right. And for, um, for the longest time, and it's only been just recently and we've been open 15 years now, like in the, in the winter time here in Fayetteville, I will, I will accumulate credit card debt for sure to, you know, because we just, you know, there's a couple months, December, January, February, where we are losing money. Sure. Sure. Well, and you know, the overhead on what 600 employees or whatever is, you know, something that's very substantial. Um, so what would you say, Kim, would be your best tip for a rural entrepreneur, someone who's like, you know, I can make an amazing cheeseburger and I think I can make it work. You know, what would you tell them? People come to me with ideas all the time. They're like, what do you think about this? Would this work? You know, I'm like, any idea can work if you're passionate and dedicated to it. You know, but if, if you're not willing to, to work for free, you know, if you, if you have this idea in your, in your head that you have to make a certain amount of money, um, if it's about, if, if it's ever about money, um, and not about passion and about dedication and hard work and, and being willing to put it all on the line, then you'll never be successful no matter how fantastic your idea is. So you'd say passion is overall more important than. Well, not, it, I mean, you can have passion without having, like you have to have passion, dedication, and hard work. All, of it all three of them. Yeah. And you got to decide, is it a business or is it a hobby? There's an awesome book out there that I highly recommend that people read. Can I say what it Go is? Go ahead, yeah. Um, it's called The E-Myth. Um, I th- believe it's called The E-Myth Revisited, but it, it was life-changing for me. And it's just, it's all about the fact that people think they are entrepreneurs because they start a business, but most people don't start a business. They create a job for themselves. Right, yeah. And, and I've heard that before. And I think, you know, which we 
uh, have three employees now, still super small, but uh, that's why I opened the graphic design and the social media management and website web development and all that up is because I have no clue how to do all that stuff, but I do know how uh, to sell it and I do know what's good. So I started building those branches and I guess with video, like I put so much of myself into it. It's something I'd never really want to give up, but starting now to branch out and to build, you know, wedding videography teams and, you know, have an editor on that side of things and, and trying to test the waters with the wedding market. And then, Maybe I'll open it up as I go, but... Well, you made another another great point that I think is really important is that if there's something that you're really good at with the business end of, or, you know, whatever you're, whatever you decide to do and yours is, we'll just say with you, if you're really good at videos, but you're not good at that other stuff, surround yourself with people that are good at it and don't waste your time trying to do that stuff. You know, like in the beginning, I tried to like pay all the bills and keep track of all that. And then eventually I was like, why don't I just hire a bookkeeper? And that was life changing. Like I dedicated so much time to like shuffling paper that did nothing to better the business you know, except that just gave me anxiety and stress and was always looming over me like, oh, I got to pay the bills. I got to do all that stuff. And so it's like once I hired a bookkeeper and I could just spend so much more time on the business, right. I was like, oh, my God, why didn't I do that? You know, and same for you. If if you love doing videos and you hate doing something else, then and it, it becomes a thing where you got to have the money to be able to do it as well. But once you get to that point, like, yeah, get just pay somebody. If you can pay somebody to do it so that you can do the thing that makes the business better and grows the business, make sure, you know, you always got to check yourself. Like, what am I, what am I doing right now? How is this helping the business? And could I pay somebody else to do this? Because my time is more valuable doing the thing that, you know, right. that makes the money. Definitely. And, uh, you know, my first hires were, you know, we're all hybrids. We have to know how to do multiple things, but I was like, okay, first off, let me make a list of what I hate doing. And let me make a list of what I'm really passionate about. And basically, you know, making videos, telling stories, that's what I want to do. Uh, when it comes to, you know, sales or, uh, you know, creating campaigns or processes or, you know, accounting, all of that, I'm going to find someone to do all of that stuff. So, so yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Of course, early stage, but that's how I try to run our business. Uh, same question for you. Dave, what would you tell a rural entrepreneur kind of jaded thinking that it's not possible to create a successful company in, you know, in Appalachia? In Appalachia. Okay. Yeah. Or, yeah, or any rural community. Or, for that any matter. smaller town. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, you guys both said some great points there and ultimately, yeah, tons of people have great ideas. There's no doubt about it. And I think it comes down to that, the, you know, the passion and the, the hard work putting those things together and then not giving up and, and being the person it's almost like, you know, when you try to get something done and I talk to some of our employees, like don't be the person who just, somebody's already shaking their head. No, you walk into use Lowe's for example, and I'll walk in with a piece of hardware and I'm, I'm looking at someone they're already telling me no with their body. They don't have it. They're not going to be able to find it. You have to be that person who goes the extra level, makes the phone call, figures out the best way to have somebody say yes, whether that's a lender or whether that's a landlord. And in, especially in the past couple of years, I find like you, you don't get what you don't ask for. So you have to be willing and think outside the box. And, you know, if, if the deal that you want to happen 
isn't happening, you have to try your hardest to make it happen. And that means being creative. That means not being afraid to, to ask and to, or to lay a piece of your business on the line either. And, and you may find a good partner and somebody might take a small piece of it for the money that you wanted, but you know, it might just work out. So yeah, you have to be diligent. And like Kim said, you know, you have to make that decision. Are, are you willing to put the work in to make it a business or yeah, if you just want to open a small bike shop and work 50 to 60 hours a week and, and build bikes or repair bikes, that's great. You know, and you can do that. But if you're looking to do something where it's going to be a successful business and create jobs and create some income, then yeah, you have to be willing to find those other people to help you build that structure. Perfect. Well, last question, terrible question too. Where do you see yourself in 10 years, Dave? <laughs> God, where do I see myself in 10 years? Um, hopefully living uh, somewhere in, on the beach in uh, South America and driving uh, old vehicles around. Um, but I, we're, we're in the process of trying to build a cabin back in West Virginia. So I do like spending time there in the woods, but hopefully not running restaurants anymore <laughs> to put that in a nutshell. Perfect. How about you, Kim? Yeah. In 10 years, I, I hope to have, um, this place kind of at a no more adding on point and, uh, and kind of pretty much, uh, retired from it and, and, and having the, I've got some key employees that I would like to buy into the business, have them kind of take over it. I have a, um, four year old, so she'll be 14 at the time. Um, and I'd like to be able to do a lot of traveling with her and, and, and show her the world kind of crazy, you know, or like this year was our 15 year anniversary, you know, so definitely we're like, can you believe it's been 15 years? Like that's, that's crazy to me, you know? So it's always certain things that will happen. That'll be like, wow, it's nuts. Or we're like, Oh, remember when we used to slice mushrooms by hand, you know, like, you know, silly things like that, you know, you can find a pies and pints location near you by visiting piesandpints.net. Also don't forget to rate your experience on Yelp and show your support by liking their Facebook page. Kim and David, thank you for your time and more importantly that round delicacy known as the chicken gouda appalachian startup is a bi-weekly podcast so be sure to check back for more stories of entrepreneurship like us on facebook and instagram and show support of the show by grabbing a sticker from our online store at appalachianstartup.com review our podcast on apple podcasts and soundcloud as well we are on Patreon, so you can support the show there, and that will allow us to continue to find more businesses in Appalachia to showcase. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise. Mm-hmm.